This episode of the Bucktails podcast is brought to you by Pistol Creek and Trip Sporting Goods. Pick his head up. Yeah! Look at that. Good deer, babe. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bucktails podcast. This is your host, Eli Self. I'm here with Jay Maxwell. He shot the then state record buck in 2007. Uh, first of all, dude, I appreciate you having me on here. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome to get invited to do podcasts and talk and share share the word to everybody. And uh, that's I'm looking forward to that. So I'm looking forward to this conversation with you. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for coming on. Like I told you in our little uh, pre-podcast meeting, you're definitely the most famous person I've interviewed so far. <laughs> Uh, so I'm a little little nervous, pretty excited, but uh, I love getting to meet people and especially, you know, getting to talk to you through this is uh, very interesting and uh, just interested to get to know you better and know where you came from, why you started hunting, that kind of stuff. So uh, kind of where I discovered Jay, you know, I think the whole state of Georgia, Southeast, nationwide of people, you know, if, if you're into hunting and you hear the name Jay Maxwell, you've, you kind of know who he is, but um so he used to be involved with Seek One, a very popular YouTube channel. Now you're at on your own doing 4610 productions, right. um, YouTube channel, social media, all that kind of stuff. And we'll get into kind of how you got started there in a minute. But that's kind of how I discovered Jay. Been looking up to him, watching his videos for a long, long time. Um, so yeah. So where did how did you get started hunting? You know, just tell me, introduce yourself. You know, where are you from? How did you get started hunting? You know, what kind of makes you tick? Yep, so um, from a little town of Thompson, Georgia, in McDuffie County, and that's uh, on the eastern side of Atlanta, down I-20 uh, toward Augusta. Most of the time, you don't even say Thompson, you say Augusta, because so, nobody knows what Thompson is, or T-Town, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, I was born in Macon, but moved to Thompson when I was two years old, so I don't remember anything about Macon. But uh, very, very fortunate to be born into a hunting family, I'll say. Um, Granddad, and I, and I mean granddads on both sides, uh, uncles on both sides, uh, and my dad. Uh, we, we were all hunters. We grew up, um, as I grew up, it was a hunting camp. Um, you go to hunting camp, and that would be, um, we didn't even pay for it. I mean, this is, you know everybody. You know, you know every name in the community, and Bubba lets you come and hunt on his farm. So that's, that's the way I grew up. Uh, you ask permission, and they just let you go. Um, obviously, things have changed today. you you got to pay big bucks to even get into something decent. Or you can do like me and the boys do up in Atlanta, and we just knock on doors and ask permission, kind of like the old days, and just be right. ourselves. So, but I was very fortunate uh, to grow up with my uncles and granddads and, and whatnot. And, I mean, I can't ever remember not hunting. And I think that's that kind of leads to where I am today. I, w- I was very, very fortunate. Um, I can, I can vaguely remember through pictures, uh, hunting when I was three, I've pictures right. me in the stand, turkey hunting and dragging turkeys out and whatnot, but I didn't kill my first deer until I was seven. And I was back then, I, there wasn't a whole lot of young hunters. And I, when I mean young, I'm saying five, six, seven, you know, that was, that was almost unheard of. Um, the caliber rifles that we have out now that that are able to take deer down, you know, 
people, you know, these 300 blackouts and whatnot are allowing these kids to hunt uh, at a younger age. So that's pretty awesome. But I was seven years old. Um, I was sitting with my dad. I'll never forget uh, on a, in the middle of a big field. Now we built all of our stands back then um, out of lumber in trees. And I'm talking, we would build these things 15 to 20 to 25, 30. And wow. I can remember ridiculous ones. I mean, you're really getting up there. But, I mean, two by fours across the trees. You built a platform in the tree. I can remember every single stand, We would, I would always be the one that would saw the shooting rest down. So you, you never hunted out of one of my granddad's stands or one of my uncle's stands or one of my dad's stands. We never built a stand without a shooting rail. You have to have a prop. And I was born and raised that way. You don't shoot a rifle unless you got a prop. So I would always go saw the straightest trees I could find, you know, to be like 10 feet long. And we put those shooting rails up. We did nail them to the trees or we tied them by ropes. We did all kind of stuff. But I remember sitting in that, uh, in that stand with my dad, seven years old. And I do remember this hunt pretty, pretty well. And um, I remember a, a mom and a couple babies came out on one end of the field and we were watching them. And it was kind of, the field's kind of shaped like an hourglass. And we were in the middle of the hourglass. And then I remember, I remember my dad grabbing me and, and saying, buh, 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 buh. and I remember looking to the other end of the field and I saw what I would consider a big buck coming out wow. you know, the field. And then another one came out and these two bucks met in the middle of the field while they're meeting dad and I are getting his old model 70, 270 Winchester, getting it moved over on the shooting sticks. And I'm, I'm in his lap sitting sitting in his lap he's got this 270 which 270 is too big for a seven-year-old i know that's what you're thinking but the way we had it figured man the way we had practiced with this gun he put the gun on his shoulder i leaned over it i went through the red, old redfield three by nine scope i was on the trigger so i did everything besides take the kick and uh i remember these two bucks getting in a fight i, I guess that's why the, the hunt's so memorable to me but they got in a fight um i, I think i shot the smaller one because i remember they split up and at seven, you don't think why they split up, but they split up and the one came to me, got a lot closer. Anyway, I don't know. He was like six or 70 yards and I, I put it right, right through his shoulders and we watched the deer fall over. And I remember dad grabbing the rifle from me and I remember the other buck running out and he killed him. So we actually killed two bucks uh, out of that sit. But my deer was like a 50 inch six pointer. I'm talking like, <laughs> I thought he was a giant. And I, to this day, I still have that deer on my, and I don't have him on the wall in here. He's at my mom and dad's house, but, um, but that, that deer meant the most to me. And I don't know if that got me fired up or not. Uh, I was so young, but the passion has never died. Um, unfortunately I'm 43 years old now. I'm not a grasshopper anymore, but, uh, it's never left me. Um, I know some people it does and it, it may be when I'm 80, I don't care anything about it. Maybe I'll still love it just as much as I do now, but. Very fortunate to grow up in that family, that lifestyle. Um, I didn't know one of my granddads. He got killed before I was born, but he was a huge hunter, and I supposedly take after him. Um, my dad's dad, he died when I was seven years old, right after I killed that deer. He died, so he never got there, or actually he died before I killed the deer, so he never got to even see my first deer or anything. But, um, but my uncles and my dad, man, growing up between them, and that, man, it really drove me because – they showed me every single sign you could think of. And these, these are really good hunters, man. They're killing deer with their recurves. They're killing deer with their bows. They're killing deer with, you know, the guns. We dove hunted. We duck hunted. We squirrel hunted. We turkey hunted. I mean, we did it all. 
So very, very blessed to grow up uh, in that lifestyle. And I've, I've been learning since I was a baby how to hunt them. And um, one thing led to another. And obviously, mentioned earlier, Sequin Productions. Um, that was that was kind of a dream of mine. So I was lucky enough to get tied up with Lee and Drew. And honestly, moving into suburban hunting from the rural hunting is night and day different. So it's just, it's just a different world. Yeah, no, I'm sure. And uh, it's pretty neat. You, you know, had a family that you hunted with forever and, uh, you know, growing up, I'm kind of, kind of cut from the same cloth. You know, we have some family land up here in Dahlonega, Georgia. And uh, we hunt, like I hunt behind my parents' house, hunt behind my grandma's house. But we've always been, as far as long as I can remember, we've been in a hunting club in Wilkes County, Georgia, just north of Tignall. So like as far north in Wilkes as you can get is where we hunt. It, bo- it borders Pistol Creek. So. Yeah, so you've heard of Thompson. Yeah, yeah. I grew up, Highway 78 runs right through Washington. So, yeah. I mean, you're coming from Athens. It's Athens, Lexington, Washington, Thompson. Right down Highway right. 78. So, a lot of people use that as a route to get to the game, football games and stuff like that. But, yeah. Right, I, right. I, I hunted a lot of Washington. In fact, I killed my first turkey in Washington um, when I was nine years old. And I killed him on a – on tv show outdoors in georgia it used to air uh when i grew up there was only channel six channel 12 channel 20 and channel 26 and then 54 came along later which was like our cartoon channel but channel 20 was our learn the learning channel and gptv atlanta yeah i think it was out of atlanta or something but we aired a show called outdoors in georgia on there and it was sponsored by realtree which is kind of funny because that's what i'm sponsored by now but I've got, and if you if you go back to some of our sequin footage, um, and a little bit of footage from my very first premiere episode of Forty Six Ten, you'll see that hunt on there, that turkey hunt, and me and my dad, and me taking my mask off and the big bird laying there. But that was in Wilkes County, so small, That's crazy, small, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm thirty now, yep. and I guess we, we've been in there since I was four or five. I mean, I can remember taking naps in the in the bottom of a box stand that we built and then my mom would like tap me on the shoulder hey i'm about to shoot one and i'd wake up and you know look out there and see your shooter doe or whatever it may be but uh yeah i took many naps in the bottom of a deer stand um you know grew up doing it the same you know kind of the same way you did um but yeah uh going into you said you got hooked up with so i didn't realize you were on a tv show when you were younger so how long how long did that run for like how long were you involved with that uh, just just the one episode, and it was really uh, this this guy named Gary Calloway in Washington uh, was sponsored through Realtree, and I knew nothing about this kind of stuff back then. I mean, that was that wasn't even a thought process. But he had contacted my dad because we uh, my dad was a um, chairman of the NWTF, so he he ran the NWTF, the, the Briar Creek chapter in Thompson, Georgia, and. This guy contacted him, said, hey, I want to take a kid. I'd like, I, I see your son here at the NWTF banquets all the time, and he's, he seems very passionate, and I, I want somebody that knows what they're doing to kill their first bird on camera. And he invited us to come. It just happened to be in Washington, so it was right down the road. And we went up there and stayed one night with him. And I actually killed that. It was supposed to be a youth um, uh, traditional hunt by Realtree. And by traditional – he wanted me to kill this turkey with a black powdered shotgun. So, <laughs> dude, 
Yeah. So there again, I'm nine years old and I'm like, I don't know, man, but it was a double rabbit eared. I mean, pour the shot that the powder down the barrel, the wad, the shot, pack it all down in there, percussion caps on the hammers. I mean, it was the real deal. And looking back, dude, I would love to take that gun and kill another bird. I need to find that gun. I need to, I need to hunt that guy down and find that gun. Cause it was the coolest thing ever. And you could, you'll see it on that episode. If you watch it, I mean, it's, it's pretty dang cool. But, um, yeah, I'll look it up and look for it. Yeah. Oh, nice. But, um, so going into turkey hunting a little bit, you talked about the NWTF. Uh, so from an early age, would you say deer hunting is a bigger passion or a turkey hunting a bigger passion? Like if you had to pick one, what would you pick? Well, first of all, I thank the good Lord that he separated the seasons by spring and fall. <laughs> because I would not I would not want to pick, but since you brought it up, if I had to, 100%, without a doubt, I'd chase some turkeys. And that's no, I... simply because me and you can take off together. We can start to finish in the mornings. I've been, I've been turkey hunting since I was a baby. I told you, man, I, I eat, sleep, and breathe it. I love it. It's something we can do together. We can have fun. It's go, go, go. Um, I'm ADD a little bit. I'm always, I've got 100,000 things going through my brain at one time. And I think with turkey hunting, that really helps out a lot because um, if you if you ever get to turkey hunt with me, then you'll understand my brain. And I, I get out of the truck and I don't get back in it unless I got a bird. Or the bird, I can tell you, nothing's fixed, nothing's happening here. Let's just go eat a Waffle House. I mean, that that that's the way it works for me. It's, I'm not going to sit by a tree and call for hours. It's not going to happen. That's not the way I hunt. Unless I know for a fact, 100%, the birds are coming to this area at some point in time. Then I have been known to sit for a little bit, but pretty impatient. So I like to, I like to yeah. rock it. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. Uh, <clears throat> turkey, if I had to pick one, uh, it'd be a toss-up. But it'd probably be turkey hunting, to be honest, for me too. Because even if you don't, you know, if you go deer hunting and you don't see anything, it's a pretty boring hunt. Or if you see a doe, like, ah, like I went hunting this past weekend, saw a few does. That was about all I saw. Yeah. Pretty boring. But for a turkey hunt, you can go out there and usually something happens. Unless you're on a terrible piece of property, usually it gets pretty exciting. Something happens. You see a turkey, you hear a turkey, you know, something kind of gets close to happening. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to describe it to someone who hasn't been turkey hunting, but usually something good happens. But yeah, so I've kind of turned a little bit of that through the years into my deer hunting too. Now, what I mean by that is you you can't really hunt with people in the tree unless you're filming. You can, but you can't. If you if you're a bow hunter, it's hard to put somebody in the tree with you and it had the, the camaraderie. You certainly can't be loud. You got to watch your movements and stuff like that. But um, and the, and the reason why I'm glad God split this up because I do love the chase of a big buck or finding that certain food source. And I'll, I'll, I get just as much kick out of doing the work to kill a whitetail than it actually going down in the five seconds that it goes down. I absolutely love the scouting process. I love picking the right tree. I love picking the right wind. I love run. I, I love trail cameras now. I mean, that was something that we never had back then. Um, I, I like hunting over feed. Some people don't, some do. I like doing it both ways. Um, luckily I get to go to Illinois and I can hunt, not hunt over feed there. And 
I, you know, here in Georgia, I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. But I like hunting over it. It's uh, there, there's a there's a lot of animals that come into it. Um, it's fun. It's it's a game. It's not easy with the bow. Can you put a corn pile up and set over 500 yards with 6.5 creed more and pick one off pretty easy? Probably so. But when the bow, it's a little bit different. So I love hunting them all different kinds of ways, but um, I love this time of the year. So I love to call turkeys. I just said turkey hunting is probably my favorite, but I'm glad I don't have to choose. Just like tonight, my son and I go out here. He's not a huge hunter. He's killed. He just killed his seventh deer with a bow. He's 15 years old. He killed six of them when he was 11. So he didn't even kill when he was 12, 13, or 14 because he just didn't want to go. And I got to the point where I'm not begging him to go anymore. I'm not forcing him to go. So this year he was like, hey, Dad, I want to I want to go. And I'm like, yes. You know, we go out. He kills a doe on the first sit. I'm pretty good about making sure that uh, my kids and my wife and even myself are set up to be successful pretty much almost every hunt via wind, feed, cameras, running everything. Pretty good chance. But like tonight, for example, uh, we go back here behind my house. We climb up. I hung a set yesterday. Last night, I had a 120-inch eight-pointer come in there. A the deer I've been looking for for a while. He just showed back up. And I told Jaden, I was like, dude, we need to get in that tree. The wind's right. It's out of the southeast, which is really weird. We don't get that here. Um, so let's go get in. So I took my saddle. I climbed up behind him and just I filmed everything in like perfect, just prime time, the last 30 minutes. You just hear that distinct walking, you know, I was like, that's a deer right there. And he's like, yeah, he stood up, got his bow. I got the camera. I turned and I'm like, Lord, please let this be that buck. And I turned and I looked and the first thing I saw was his rat come up in a limb and making a scrape like 60 yards from us. And I was like, oh God, see him, see him, see him, you know, and here he comes, you know, he comes in, makes a scrape and I'm like, all right, he's just going to make a beeline straight to us. Well, he turns and starts going down the hill, and that's when I realized, wait a minute, that's not the buck I saw last night. This is a totally different deer. So I immediately switched to, okay, he doesn't know the feeds here. He doesn't know the scrapes here. He doesn't know anything. He's just rolling down the hill. I need to call him in. So I'm a, like turkeys, I love to call deer. I can show you all these deer in this room right here. I'll, pick, I'll try this. I'm going to pick this thing up. You see, well, some of these are African animals, but there's a whole lot of white tails over there. And then if you move right here, all the way across this room, okay, there's 21 Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett whitetails in here I killed with a bow and arrow. And I just went through here the other day, and it was like 14 of them I called in. If I had not called to these deer trying to pull them into bow range, I don't know if they would have come in or not. I don't have a clue. But they came because I called them and killed them. So tonight, I called to this deer. Um, I got his attention. He got down in the bottom, he, and I was grunting with my mouth. But he looks back. Jaden's got the bow. He's ready to roll. The deer's like 60 yards. He gets mad. He makes another scrape. And then we didn't know it, but just on the other side of him, I guess a doe walked by, and he immediately bolted after her. And then they, she made a big loop and came back by. us like 50 yards, and he was right behind her. And it was awesome for him to get to see that buck chasing that doe and you know, the vocalization of me trying to call him in and, you know, just getting away with it. So I love calling deer. So the passion, my passion, I love turkey hunting and I would choose that over deer hunting, but I love this time of the year and calling, calling, calling to these deer because I'm fixing to go to Illinois November 6th and 
I don't even care where you put me at. I just need, I need to get high ground where I can see a long way and hear a long way. And I'll do everything I can to call a big deer in. I just want to call, call, call. So I'm looking forward to that. But I, I love, I love calling deer. And that's changed the game for me quite a lot. Because I didn't kill my first Pope and Young until 2004. So from 2004 to 2022, I mean, I've killed, well, 20, 23 Pope and Young whitetails with a bow and arrow. And most of them came from calling. Because I realized. Not that's how vocal deer can be. Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, I know me personally, I'm usually hesitant to call. I do a little bit of grunting, a little bit of rattling, but I really don't call deer a whole lot. And that's, you know, you watch, well, I watch the videos and stuff from YouTube channels and whatnot, and you see it happening everywhere. And it's like, I'm, you know, it's getting that confidence to do it. Same thing with turkey hunting. It's like whenever I first started turkey hunting and using a mouth call, you know, I'm not still not great with the mouth call. I have a really small mouth. But, uh, and so I've got to find like a junior or a youth size, you know, mouth call, but it's like, yeah, it's like I get nervous and I'm like, who's gonna, no one's here to make fun of me. I'm just out here by myself. And I'm like, like trying to like, I'm like, I'm calling a turkey and he's, you know, and most of them, they don't care if it squawks decently well, they'll come in. But, uh, yeah. And that's going back and forth between turkey and deer hunting. I guess the way I would describe it is turkey hunting. There's a lot more of those decently high peaks during a hunt. You know, like, you know, one of my favorite hunts, a turkey did not die. We were trying to get one for my wife. Yes. We were on our way out. We had had turkeys gobbling around us all morning. There were hens chirping everywhere. They started easing off. So I'm like, all right, let's go circle around. Let's go somewhere else. We get to the edge of the woods. Uh, I was like, let me call one more time. I hit a call. He hammers, and he's, like, within 100 yards. I'm like, crap. Like, run in here, slide behind a tree, get somewhere. And he came in and put on an absolute show at, like, 65 or 70 yards. Like, awesome, awesome show. And there was a ditch in between us. And should have ran down five more feet, ten more feet, and it would have happened. But just one of those – but one of my favorite hunts. But deer hunting, you might have that one or two hunts per year that it gets – extremely high when when that buck comes in like i said it's a lot of prep it's a lot of like but work behind the scenes you know that like you said make sure the wind's right putting the food out checking cameras and but whenever it happens it is like mega high you know so that's it it's hard to pick you know but uh yeah turkey hunting turkey hunting is one of my definitely probably my favorite as far as hunting goes but it's i mean it's it's still hard to pick for real Um, Unless you want, yeah. there now if you want those smell hunting in there, now you, you're killing a, a thousand pound turkey. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. I I interviewed Caleb Copeland with Copeland Creative. Yeah. He shared was a public land elk that he killed with his dad with his dad and brother, and he was like, I never heard of a satellite bull. Didn't know what. I mean, I'm from North Georgia. I've hunted a few other states. I've been to Illinois once. Been to Alabama a few times. But yeah, elk hunting. I've never done it. I would love to one day, yeah. but, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I've heard is, you know, it's like hunting a, a massive turkey that has a, has a whole flock of elks with it or a whole flock of hens with them. That's but, right. uh, no, but that'd be, that'd be fun to do one day. Um, so another thing you mentioned too, I've got two daughters. I've got one that's four months old and one that's two years old. So definitely not hunting yet, but I'm looking, looking very forward to, uh, 
my oldest daughter's Tessa. I'm excited to get Tessa in the woods. You know, she's already like we, she she watches you know deer hunting videos with me all the time. Yep. If she sees a deer on the video or on the TV, she was like, Matt, 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 Matt. <laughs> you know, say, oh deer, deer. And yep. at the hunting club this past weekend, uh, a guy in our club uh, killed a buck, and she was you know every time she walked in the kitchen, she like let's go look at the deer. You know, she wanted to go back out there. So I'm so excited. Uh, what are your do you have any tips or advice for someone like me who has a two, three, four year old getting ready to go hunting? You know, what kind of advice would you give those parents? Like, you know, obviously don't overdo it, but how do you make it fun? How do you keep right. them quiet, entertained, that kind of stuff? What kind of advice do you have? Right. So I, I'm luckily enough, I, I do have a 12 year old daughter and a 15 year old son. So I have been there and done that. And when my kids came out of my wife, I was like, they are going to be killers their dad is Jay Maxwell and they are going to be killers just like me. You know, I'm like, I'm going to overdo it. And I did. And that was my major mistake. Um, my son killed his first deer when he was five. Um, he killed his first Turkey when he was five. Um, and he pretty much stacked them up from five, six, seven, eight, but around eight, I started noticing that he didn't care about it. Anything like I did when I was in the seven or eight year old range. And I kept comparing myself, and I was like, I mean, I was I was struggling, man, for a while. I mean, probably all the way through him being 10 or 11 or 12 years old, I was like, what's wrong with this kid? <laughs> like, why does why is he not eat, slap up with it? He, he's got everything at his fingertips. I mean, I have the finest rifles and the finest bows and the, the best stands, and I've guided people my entire life. Why does my child, he is, I can spoil him rotten with this, but – it's really just up to the child and the, the their brain and where they want to go and what they want to do with their life. And now looking back on it and I've treated my daughter a lot differently. Um, I didn't, I haven't pushed her at all, luckily because she is three or four years, three years behind Jaden. So I think I, I just majorly overly pushed Jaden into everything. I wish I had let him come to me. Um, like your daughter wants to go back outside and see the deer. Um, normally I would have been the one that had just picked him up and took him out there and put him in the back of the truck with a deer and said, sit on it. Let me get you a picture, you know? And he was, you know, he was always interested in that stuff, but, uh, he, I, I push, 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 push. And I wish I had never pushed at all. I wish I had, because all his friends, their parents don't hunt. They hunt a little bit here and there, but they don't hunt a whole lot. But Jaden's friends, they want to come here every day of the week and go with me every chance they could possibly get. Cause they're, you know, they, they didn't get pushed into it like Jaden did. And Jaden's like, uh, yeah, I mean, we can go, I guess we can go bow hunting this afternoon. We'll probably, you know, we can get a shot at a doe or something. And they're like, yeah, let's go. And he's like, all right, you know, but so going like tonight, man, that was, that was like a blessing to me, man. I mean, he's, he wasn't feeling good today from school, but he was like, he killed that deer the other day. And I don't, I, I backed off of him for about three years. I've let him just, I think he's killed one turkey in three years and maybe one or two deer. And that was because he went and sat one or two times with a rifle and killed him. So now I'm letting him come to me. He came to me about the doe and killed her with a bow. Today he said, hey, I'd like to kill a buck with my bow. And I'm like, dude, say the word. You know, you want to go? Let's go. I'm like, but, you know, I need you to start doing some work with me. I want you to understand, like, why I'm putting stand here, why, why we're doing what we're doing, because... 
that's something that I always did for him that he never had, you know, get up in a tree. He's expecting to see something every time we sit. And I, I stole that from him and I feel terribly guilty about it. So I would major tip, do not push them at all. Let them come to you. You can sh take them with you. Hey, would you want to go? Um, no, daddy, I don't feel like it. That's fine. That's all you need to say. You know, you want them to be able to come to you. Don't don't push them into, no, you are going. You're going to sit in the bottom of the stand, and you can eat your apple and play your on your phone until something comes out, and then I'll get you up, and there it is. And I don't, I don't like that either. Um, and I did that. I've done that with both of my kids. I didn't grow up in house stands or shooting houses or anything like that. I grew up, like I told you, in a wooden platform that you can see everything. You, there ain't no hiding. You got to be still, you know, and we didn't have phones and all, you know, tablets and all this stuff to keep us entertained. So as a kid, I think I enjoyed just being there with my dad and watching the birds and watching the squirrels and, you know, how just watching how everything operates outside. So um, I don't think it does any better to have a child in the bottom of the floorboard of the stand playing on a phone and then you pop them up when the deer's there because they're going to expect that like every time, every time they go, they're going to expect the deer to just be standing there and then they just shoot it and then they go home. I can remember Jaden telling me multiple times, uh, he just wanted to hurry up and shoot a deer as soon as we got in the stands, so we could go home. And I'm like, that, that was when I was like, no, this, this ain't right. This ain't right. So McKenna's a lot better. Um, I let her come to me a lot. Um, I don't know if you saw the episode that I dropped with her killing her first bow buck. Um, that was all her dude. She wanted to go. She got the bow. She she shot. Dude, I would be at work and she's at home shooting her bow. That is that is what I'm talking about. She wants to go and do it now. She is more infatuated with horses. That's her thing, you know. Here at the house, she horses is her thing. Hunting, fishing, golf is my thing. Jaden, he likes to ride dirt bikes. Uh, he's more into that kind of stuff. And I'm just trying to I'm trying to deal with all of it. So don't push them. Don't put them in the bottom of the shooting house and make them get up. You know, one, once in a little while, fine, but not every time you go. Um, and don't, you know, when they want to watch for the deer to come out and stuff, that's when you want to go. And sharpen it when you do take them. I mean, it is nice to make it successful. Don't get in it. You know, if it's getting dark at 7 o'clock, don't get in the shooting house at 3 o'clock. Go out and get in there at like 530. Because you know dang good and well when the sun hits that tree line, they're going to start coming out. So just get there right before that so they don't get so impatient and they want to get out. But let them 100% let, them let your kids come to you. Now, that makes a lot of sense. You know, make it where it's, you know, pretty action-packed. But, uh, yeah, definitely make it, let them come to you. That makes that makes perfect sense. Uh, I went through a time growing up. Like I said, I was, you know, we were, you know, we always enjoyed hunting. Me and my brother did. Uh, but we were always drugged to the hunting club pretty often. And I went through a time where I was probably middle school that, you know, 10 to 12, 13 year old range where sometimes they would ask, Hey, you want to go to the hunting club? And I'm like, no, I want to stay home and play video games. I just want to stay home. I want to go to the football game at the high school. You know, I want to, you know, we, I, I wanted to go do something else. You know, I, I went through a phase where I just I was like, nah, I really don't want to go hunting, you know, uh, for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, then, you know, as I got older, I de it definitely, you know, the, the fire got relit, I guess, but, uh, you know, you know, hunted for sure my whole life, but yeah, definitely went through a few years there where I'm like, nah, eh, rather not, you know, 
But uh, it's funny. My uncle tells me stories about my grandpa. You know, my grandpa grew up. He was he's he's passed on now. Passed away in 2011. But he was born in 42, I think. So he was in the Navy, and his style of hunting was way up in the mountains, up in the national forest. And he killed he's killed some he killed some great bucks up in the mountains. But my dad used to say that my grandpa was part billy goat. You know, just go up the side of a mountain and just run off and leave you. You couldn't keep up with him. So my uncle growing up, he said he would drop my uncle off with a backpack with snacks, jacket, that kind of stuff. It would drop him off in the dark. He said, son, I'll be back at dark. Don't move. So sit there all day. So my uncle tells me, he's like, I saw all kind of deer. He said, I "I also slept half the day most of the time. But he said, it's a wonder I still like hunting. He he said he went through the same thing, you know, being pushed and pushed and pushed. He learned a lot, knows how to do it now. But he went through a phase there where he's like, I really don't like hunting, but he, you know, he loves it now. But uh, just kind of funny looking back of thinking about putting a kid up in a tree stand by himself. All right, I'll be back in twelve hours. You know, but scary dude, different times. Scary, yeah. I, I went through a situation like that one time when I was really young with my dad, and I won't elaborate on it too much. But he he actually went bow hunting and left me at a pond to go fishing by myself, and I was like. I don't know, maybe six years old or something like that. But uh, he left me there, and it absolutely terrified me. After about two hours, when I ran when my red wiggler cup ran out of worms and catching warmouth around the edge of the pond, uh, I looked around. My dad wasn't there, and it was getting dark, and I thought he had done left me, gone, hit the gas. So from that age, I never sat by myself in the tree until I was 11 years old because of that one situation right there. And um, it was scary. For I mean, I've got multiple stories I could tell you throughout those years that uh, it, it terrified me. So yeah, it ain't. You got to be careful on that, for sure. No, for sure. But uh, let's get into a little bit more of your, uh, I guess your current, current state of things. So talk about forty six ten, like the name of it. I know it's a Bible verse of some kind. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Or I've I shouldn't know it. I've looked at your looked at your pages like a million times, but four to six ten productions. How did you get started in production on your own? I guess, and uh, just tell me about four to six ten. So it it kind of backs up when I uh there we go man going back to thirteen fourteen fifteen years old and growing up watching Wilbur Primos was one of my. I don't know if you call him a role model, but uh he he was like a hero of mine, man. I mean. If I watched something, it was going to be hunting. So between Daryl, I mean, uh, Night and Hell with Harold and David and uh, the Drury, Drury Brothers came up during that time and Will Primos and Ronnie Cuz and, you know, these boys, man. Um, I had, I bought every VHS tape there is. And, in fact, I still got a 100 of them probably right now. And just watching these guys, that, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be one of those guys. I mean, they're doing it for a living. Why can't I? So – I remember sending a resume to Will Primos and Brad Ferris when I was 15 years old. And it was basically a handwritten letter and a portfolio of pictures of me, like with turkeys and deer and all this. And I'm like, guys, I can help y'all. I can, I can do this. And, um, anyway, Will, Wilbur and I are friends now. Um, I hadn't seen him. Well, I hadn't seen him in about a year or two, but, um, I got to, interview with him when I was about 21 years old 
I interviewed with him and we sat down multiple times and talked about it. And he felt like it was better for me to go to college and get a career path to make more money because he said the money just wasn't going to be there. And I ain't gonna lie. It absolutely crushed me and broke my heart, but he is a businessman, but he is a genuine man of God for sure. And I've always admired that about Will Primos. So after that, um, I was a hunting and fishing guide throughout my life. I mean, I've been mainly a, a full-time hunting guide. I'm a saltwater fishing captain. Most people don't know that. I lived at the beach for three years. I love fishing just as much as I do hunting, or I, probably on the back burner a little bit. But, um, but um, I got a sales job, and that led into where I live sort of now. Um, I moved into Gwinnett County, and... I'm not a city guy. I'm a country boy. So I had to find the country when I was in Gwinnett and I did the sales job that I had was with a big company, a pest control company. And it allowed me to go into the Fulton County areas that of course me being in the big woods and a big hunter, I'm going to be looking for deer stuff everywhere I go. And the first couple trips I made it into the city, I'm like that gum, there's deer everywhere around here. And whoa, there's some big sign. Like these trees are ripped up. Like what's going on? wait a minute, Fulton County is bow only? I never even heard of it. Never heard never heard of Fulton County. Never heard of DeKalb County, Gwinnett County. I don't know, man. You know, I'm a country boy from Thompson, Georgia. And now, wait a minute, they have counties this bow hunting only? You can't gun hunt? This is awesome, because I was a bow hunter, you know? So uh, one thing led to another, and I started, uh, I started bow hunting in the city limits, found out it was legal, you could do it. And the actual first year that I bow hunted in the city limits, I killed a 162 in Gwinnett County and a 234 and 7.8 state record in Fulton County. So I killed almost 400 inches of antler inside four days with my bow and arrow in Georgia. And that kind of lit a fire under me going, okay, I had already killed a couple in Illinois, like Pope and Young. My first one came from Illinois. My second one came from Illinois. And then third, fourth, and fifth came right here in Georgia. And it was all because I had moved from little podunk thompson georgia mcduffie county that you know i'm still in the record book with my dad i think we're in there in the top 10 right now still at like number at 101 inches 102 inches 107 inches i mean it's crazy and you you've got to hunt where they live or you're never going to kill one so when i killed that deer um i kind of lit up the whole state of georgia like oh my gosh this dude just wrote a record the record was 173 inches at the time then a buddy of mine, Brian Stevens, killed a 186 in September. And he kind of, he's the one that actually broke the state record. And then I turned around and broke it a month later. So it was really crazy. And then Brian and I knew each other. But um, that got up a lot of attention, I think. And at the time, Lee and Drew from Seek One are in high school. And they are starting to get involved with hunting and noticing the big deer around Atlanta, too and they're getting old enough to drive themselves around and they're trying to figure out the whole scheme of hunting. Lee had never, Lee didn't even start hunting until he was in high school. So he had never even killed a deer. And um, until he was like 16 or 17 years old, he didn't even kill a deer. And um, they reached out to me, we became friends. Kendall Go Lightly, the same thing. We all met up. Uh, Bob Coombs killed the crossbow state record, 182 inches from Roswell. He called me, he was like, hey, who are you? If you you don't know Bob, but he is a character. Matter of fact, 
you need to do a podcast with him because <laughs> he will he will he will set your show on fire. I promise you, that man is amazing. Okay. Bob Coombs, uh, we all got together. We met at Bob's house um, one night in 2008, and we've all been real good friends ever since. It's been amazing. Um, so I've known them all since 2008. Um, Lee and Drew, as they pursued it more, and they started killing these big deer with a bow and arrow. Uh, Drew was the media guy. He was like, wait a minute. I think we can film this and show these people what we're doing. So that course i could elaborate on, elaborate on it for days uh but that turned into sequel productions uh they built it i was in i was behind the scenes pretty much the whole entire first year second year and they were like jay we don't want you behind the scenes and i was kind of you know i've been hunting since i was a baby so um not holding their hand but kind of giving them tips and tricks and stuff along the way to help them out and of course they've grown into uh some amazing hunters now um Lee is Lee is incredible with the horseshoe up her rear end. That boy can sit in the Walmart parking lot on a telephone pole and kill a Pope and Young, I swear. But uh that but they're both just amazing godly guys. Um I noticed it immediately when I met them. Uh they were different. Um most young guys out of high school aren't chasing deer and God and not not worried about women. Uh both of them are that way. And to this day they're they're like brothers and always will be. Kendall the same way. Um so I was part of Sequin Productions for six years, um, in front of the camera, behind the camera, behind the scenes, all kind of stuff. And I have a lifestyle that is very, very busy. Um, and what I mean is I have kids. I'm married. Kendall's married and has kids. So he, he and I are on the same page a lot. But it is extremely difficult, um, especially where I live now. I live in Madison, Georgia. I'm nowhere near Atlanta. It takes me an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes to get to Lee, Drew, and Kendall's house. They all live up there. Um, my phone's dying. So with them living up there, it, it's just the commute, um, planning trips. As Sequin grew, um, you know, we need to travel over here and over here. And I'm like, uh, I can't go anywhere, man. I got to coach football every day. For nine years, I've been coaching Jaden playing, fo playing football. So – as the years go on, I kept talking to my wife, and I was like, baby, I got to, I'm going to have to do this on my own. And it, nothing against Lee and Drew. I mean, I love them, but I can't do this anymore. Um, I've got to take my own route. I still want to be involved. I still want to show people. I want to talk to people. I want to give advice. I want to try to lead people um, and lead people to God, I'm saying, through my passion. Um, I've always been the guy sitting in church wondering, okay, this this guy does this. This guy does that. He he he's preaching. He's they're all. How can I give? And the only way I could do it is through my passion, what I love. So, like I said, even if I reach one person and save one person, that's that meant that'll mean the world to me, right? So, um, back uh, last year, so 2021 during the summer, my wife and I prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it, and we decided to let Lee Andrew know that I was going to move on. So I did. I left in October. Um, I started 4610 around November of 21 and put my first official first episode out December 22nd of 2021, uh, which is my premiere episode. And I named the business, the company, whatever you want to call it, 4610 Productions. That is Psalm 4610 from the Bible. And that is be still and know that I'm God. And 
that resonated with me through Seek One. And it, I don't know what episodes, but there's multiple episodes through Seek One where you're talk, you'll hear me and Lee talk about being still and being still and, and look, just be still. Look around you and look what God has made for us. It's amazing. He did this. This just didn't blow up and it was just here. He created it. So um, when I was when I was thinking about a name, that one just it just stuck with me. And I'm like, I, you know, what do I call it? Be still. And I was like, no, the verse is Psalm 4610. I'm just going to call it 4610 Productions. And I'll, I'll put productions on the end of it so you do know it's some sort of show. What is this? So you'll investigate it. But um, yeah, man. Um, and, and, and the thing is, in Psalm 4610, God is talking to us in the Bible, in that, in that verse, saying, be still and know that I am God. He is saying, um, it was a time of war. There's a lot of war going on and chaos and craziness going on. And God is saying, lay down your swords, lay down your shields, quit fighting, be still. And know that I'm God. I'm in control. I'll take care of all this. And um, that's where faith comes from and putting it into him, you know. So, and then, of course, be still, you know, <laughs> still in the woods. So, be still. Look around. Put your swords down. Put your shields down. Give it to God. Be thankful for what he has and praise him. And that's 4610 Productions. Man, that is the... I figured there was a great story behind 4610 and how you named it, but man, that it gives me chills because that's something that, you know, everyday life, being able to just stop and listen. I've heard someone say that before, maybe in a preacher, a, a podcast, something I listened to before, but it's just be still for just a minute. Yep. If, if it's too loud, too much stuff's going on in your life, anxiety, stress, I mean, we're, we're all super busy people. The stresses go on. The world's, I mean, this is maybe bad to say, but the world overall is kind of a bad place, terrible place, right? Full of sin. But uh, just being able to sit tight, know that God's in control. And that's what it, that resonates with me is be still and know that I'm God. Like it, he, it's like him saying, hey, you don't have it. You never did. Nope. But I always do. You know what I mean? 100%. So, uh, Got it. Yeah. So now I, I, I love that. I love that a lot. Um, hearing your story about how you got started with Lee and Drew, uh, yeah, and that's that has set the world on fire. It's definitely set Georgia and like Metro Atlanta. I mean, everybody talks about killing big bucks in Gainesville, Georgia, Dawsonville, Georgia, any city that has any kind of woods or deer population. I mean, there are people door knocking. I mean, it has set the hunting world on fire. In right. a good way, and I guess it could be considered a bad way for y'all just because there's probably a lot more traffic hunters-wise. We knew that was going to happen. Yeah. But we that, had, you know, that's uh, that's we, something tough. I'm sure that was uh, something y'all thought about a lot whenever y'all were starting to like, hey, do we put this out there? Because it could turn into – I mean, it's a, it's a business. It's a lifestyle. It's you know way of life. It's a way to make a living and uh, provide for your family. But at the same time, you're like, man, I'm give y'all y'all give up y'all give up the juice. I mean, y'all give up, you know, how to do it. But uh, and I'm I'm sure y'all went through that those discussions but and thoughts. We we did, man. But you know, it it saved so many people, and it's got so many people out of binds. I mean, the the amount of emails and messages and prayer requests and the stuff that we get from people watching our show, and that's why I'm continuing 4610. 
it's it doesn't even compare to a stupid deer man it's a deer and a turkey in the grand scheme of things it's not a, it's not a human life with a soul and that's what we're saving in the in the process of this so that's that that means more to us than than any anything possibly could so yes we knew it was going to be tough we knew that people were going to start wrapping up the Atlanta areas and we knew more people were going to start filming. We knew it was going to happen. And, um, but it's okay because I know 100% today that we have saved many lives. I feel like we have anyway, and God will be the judge well, of that. But, yeah. But, uh, well, man, that's what we're put on this earth to do. I mean, we enjoy, we yes. enjoy the creation. We get to hunt fish, but we were put here to spread the gospel and in everything that we do, you know, I'm a high school teacher. So, you know, it's, you know, there's a fine line I ride every day where I can't just, you know, not supposed to, you know, talk about Jesus, but hopefully the way that I act and yeah. the way that I talk and talking about, hey, I went to church or my brother, my brother's a preacher. So I talk about, I make him my excuse to talk about it a good bit. You know, oh, yeah, my brother's a preacher at a church in Canton, you know, just, uh, good. Yeah. you know, speak, speak it in the classroom for a second, you know. Yeah. But like, like you said, Ultimately, that's the goal is to, to spread the gospel through any means necessary, you know, and that's using your gifts and y'all's gifts are hunting and killing big deer and yep. making videos. And I mean, no telling how many, if you were to accumulate all the views on Seek One and 4610, how many millions of people, I mean, individual people have seen that and heard y'all when you shoot one. Thank, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, y'all yep. pretty much say that every time you kill one. I mean, that's just that right there is. Naturally, you know, the first, that's, that's, the first, well, naturally, yeah. It's not. It's not scripted. Is that's a natural instinct? Immediately, is like you know, I, I wouldn't have done it without him. So, yeah, that's like I, I I tournament bass fish. I fish electric only tournaments right. around North Georgia. And anytime I catch, I should do it after every fish I catch. But anytime I catch a good, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Lord. You know, because right. a lot of stuff has to go right. You have to hook it, get it in the net, get it in the boat without it coming off. And you're like. Thank you, Lord. You know, that's, you know, I hope I can keep that up. I want to keep that kind of, you know, be, being thankful because it ain't us. But no, I mean, you mean never, everything, everything that we do, everything I'm good at, everything you're good at, it ain't us. It ain't me. It's all his. Yeah. It's all. So. No, well, no that man, I, we've done had church tonight. I like it. <laughs> I do it every night. Yeah. It's good. Um, so, and you kind of already hit on this, but you said it was kind of kind of always your goal. You said you were 15 or so when you sent a uh, an interview off to Will Primo. So that's 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 awesome. I didn't know you would you, you had done that that early on. Yep. Um. So going, I guess to kind of get close to wrapping it up, I'll try to keep these things about an hour. But man, it's been so good. We'll go on as long as you want to. But uh, talking about urban hunting versus rural hunting. So you hunt in Madison, Georgia, and Morgan County now. That's right. And you've also hunted, like you said, in Fulton County, Gwinnett County, very, very much so, you know, city city hunting. You know, yes. small tracts of woods. Uh, you know, and I don't even how. What's the average like size of a piece of land y'all hunt if you're hunting in Fulton County or Gwinnett County? Would you say? Um, I think my smallest tract that I have seven tenths of one acre. And largest track I have mm, well, I mean we we actually had one that Drew killed 
the one deer on. Napoleon, he killed, he had hundreds of acres there, which is rare. But I'd say, I'd say one acre to 17 acres is, is about the biggest, smallest to the biggest, what I have. Gotcha. I'm simply choosing them on corridors and uh, travel routes and, you know, stuff like that. Um, I think is, is pretty key. Um, when I look at Atlanta, um, if you could compare it to the Midwest with cornfields and bean fields, um, if you could replace the houses with those bean fields and cornfields, I feel like that's what that is. And you're hunting the draws and bottlenecks and stuff after you cut the corn. That's the same thing you do in Atlanta. So you may only have permission. I had permission on three acres when I killed the state record. But that three acres was part of 20 acres. This part of 30 acres is part of 50 acres. This part of 100 acres. That 100 acres turned into 200 acres. You see, so that deer was linked all the way into that hundreds of acres. I just caught him up in that bottleneck. Um, because he had pushed that doe all the way up in there and she was basically at a dead end road and she was going around and around and around and I intercepted them at the same time. So that's, uh, it's pretty cool if you think about it. Yeah, no, that's something that I've, like I said, I hunt, my parents have like 15 acres. My, my grandmother has 60, a lot of it's pasture land. So I've never really hunted the urban setting. And then on our hunting club in Wilkes, we were on a lease and it's 1500 acres. So, you know. There's some Saturdays if, you know, we're the only ones down there early season or if people want to sleep in on a Sunday morning or whatever it may be or they're not down there, I may have a 1,000 acres to pick, you know, and that's a whole different – like right. like you said, I'm a little bit ADD, and I'm like, well, yep. heck, I mean, I've got four or five stands that are good for a north wind. Where the heck do I go? You know, so that's a whole other challenge. Um, So what would you say as far as, like, putting up – like hunting over bait, you know, that's that's a huge topic in Georgia. I hunt over bait. I'm for it. I like it. It yep. makes it, like you, like you said earlier, it makes it sometimes easier. But, like, I killed a decent buck last year, and I hunted, I tallied it up. I hunted, like, 38 hours before I ever saw the buck on the hoof. Right. I had pictures of him like crazy, but I hunted my tail off before I finally got a chance at him. Right. But uh, as far as baiting goes, like, what are the big differences in hunting urban versus like a big farm or like a big open, like thousand acres somewhere. Yeah. So, um, I'm, like I said, I'm hunting Morgan County a lot this year. Um, I have, I've, I have access to several thousand acres here. I can't hunt the whole several thousand acres because it is shared by quite a lot, quite a lot of people like a big hunting club, but I kind of have certain sections and they know that I, well, Jay's in there or I know that, you know, Phillip's over there and, you know, we just kind of don't step on each other's toes, but, um, I was fortunate enough this year to go ahead and kill that 129-inch bully buck, that real, real heavy eight-pointer that I killed with six-inch bases. And it's just a deer I've been watching. Um, I'm, I'm a supporter of hunting over feed or not feed. It doesn't matter to me. Um, I hunted over feed in this particular area because there wasn't any acorns dropping and there wasn't any persimmons at all. So, yeah, of course I'm going to start on feed. Now, I had him coming to feed, so why take him off of feed and try to get lucky for him to walk down a trail? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, I'm a firm believer in hunting less, hunting smarter and hunting less. Um, so we're, we're very fortunate enough with these trail cameras to be able to do that now. So dude, I mean, like for instance, last year I killed two mid one forties. I hunted one of them three times, the other one twice. No, once I sat on the first deer and killed him on the first sit, sat on the second deer and killed him on the third sit this year. I sat um, the big eight down here in Morgan. I sat the first sit, saw him, 
probably could have killed him was waiting on a 10. And second set, I had made my mind up I was going to shoot the 8 or the 10, whichever one came. Um, the 8 came, uh, waited around for 15, 20 minutes. He, the Big 10 didn't show up. The heck with it, I'm killing the bully buck. So two sets this year on my one of my target bucks, killed him. Um, I've, truthfully, I've only sat three, up, three or four other times this year. And you think that's crazy, but I capitalized like every time. So I killed a doe, I killed a doe, I killed two does on one set. And I just make sure the wind's right, um, whether you're hunting feed or not. Um, I think if you are hunting over a corn pile or I hunt with this attracts feed company, it's, stuff's ridiculously awesome. But if you're hunting over a feed that you're actually pouring out, uh, the deer are much uh, more on edge by far. They, they're not dummy. They're not, they know that corn didn't fall out of that tree. So you're going to see them circling downwind a lot more than they would if they were feeding or browsing across white oaks on a ridge or maybe coming into a persimmon tree. Their, their guard is going to be up a lot more when they're on, the, on that man-made, or not man-made feed, but bulk feed and poured out. So, um, and Atlanta is actually the same. Um, you just, there, like I said, there's funnels and draws so you can, in those situations, you can kind of figure out where the deer are going to come from easier. Um, they don't, some deer grow up there with uh, seeing the people, well, all the deer grow up there seeing people and hearing people and smelling people all the time. But it is different when you step into their environment. And that's if you get 20 yards away from the house or 30 yards away. Um, some deer don't care, but there's not a buck out there that don't care. So, you know, in Atlanta, the hunting these draws with houses, you know, will the deer run through backyards and stuff? Yes. Do they prefer to? No. So you can kind of somewhat figure out where these deer are coming and going to. And if you put the feed in the right areas, then you can intercept them as long as you got a decent wind. I mean, these deer still wind you up there, don't they? They don't. Um, they may hang around a little bit longer, or maybe they'll circle a little bit more, or they might blow and bounce off, and they might come back. But that's a that's a little bit different than hunting in the big woods. Um, if they blow at me in Morgan County, they ain't coming back. Um, the deer in Atlanta, I mean, the phones are born inside of a house most of the time so they're going to grow up hearing the dogs hearing the cars hearing people yelling hearing blowers they're going to hear all this stuff and they get used to it but they're still not stupid so um feeding there um it's pretty productive i mean i'm, I'm not gonna lie i could probably go tomorrow morning on one of my old spots i've got a camera running right now with no feed at all just on a a gap in a fence and i could probably kill a poke in the morning morning i mean i've got a i've got a 130 stand coming through there pretty much every day and i'm really just kind of waiting on a couple other youtubers that might come and hunt with me and stuff like that we might do a collab and i'm, I'm gonna try to put one of them in there maybe end up putting my wife or my son in there or something like that but you know it's still an hour and a half drive for me to get up there so I had rather just hunt down here on my, you know, 15 minutes from my house on a couple thousand acres and just try to figure out what I'm doing there. Um, I had decided after killing the number of deer that I've killed in Atlanta and a lot of these big deer that I just assume hunt the big woods and kill these deer down here that go up here until 40. Um, and, I, and maybe that's just because I've already killed a bunch of them in the 40s and I'm, I'm okay with that. But 
like killing that bully buck the other day. I mean, that was that just kind of man hanging out with my my boys. You know, I mean, the guys that I, I don't get to hang out with much because I'm usually in Atlanta when I kill one, and they're not going to drive all the way up there. So usually I would just have Lee and Drew and Kendall, Lee and Drew and Kendall, Lee and Drew and Kendall, and now it's like. I can involve other people in my family, my my life, my friends where I where I live. So um, I really, really, really enjoyed that the other day. Uh, I love going down the road, killing a couple of does. I love going to my processor in Newburn. I live right down the road from Newburn. I love going there and seeing Chip and all the deer and stuff brought in. Um, I just love. It. I'm I'm glad I'm back in the country life. Um, I still have my spots in Atlanta. I've got one tomorrow that I might go up and. And you know, refeed there, and maybe try to hunt me a big scrape down, and put a camera on. And if I if I get a picture of a big mature, you know, 150 inch deer, I might go up there and you burn my second tag on that. I I don't know, but I love it all. Um, I love hunting the suburbs. I love hunting the rural area. I love hunting over bait. I love hunting over acorn trees. Uh, it's just there's so much you can do. I love calling deer. I'd rather call a deer up and kill him than anything. Um, hard to do when you're self-filming but i mean my very first episode last year caught him right in there and killed him so uh i don't know i just i love it all so there, there's the difference between the two anyway yeah no that makes a lot of sense um as far as deer being used to people you know that's like the deer on our hunting club are definitely more skittish than the deer that, I, that we hunt behind my parents house you know because they there's a lot of houses around, you know, they've got a decent amount of land, but they're definitely much more used to humans being around, walking around, slamming a car door, you know, but the deer at our hunting club in Wilkes, I mean, those things, if they smell you, forget it, they're done. Like they, They'll smell you, they're gone, you know, get over it, you know, go ahead and go back to camp, you're done. Yep. But uh, like, like you said, it's all fun, it's all good. Um but no, it's, each, each thing has its own kind of challenges, I guess you could say. But, um, but yeah, moving on from there, um, you said something about hunting scrapes. And that's yeah. something I'm wanting to get more into as far as, like, setting up mock scrapes. You've heard about people hunting with ropes. I've, heard, I've seen videos and heard, heard people talk about it on podcasts and things like that. I haven't done it a whole lot. I used to, I used to use, I think it was a – a hunter specialties it had like a little curly cue in the bottom of it yeah uh, like a like a, a, a mock scrape dripper i used one of those before and i had all kind of deer and bucks come to it never had a mature one come to it but i mean it was non-stop action you know saw deer all day long saw little bucks like crazy but you know i, I haven't gone into that realm a whole lot lately but yep. uh what are some tips and tricks on mock scrapes and then that well we can kind of wrap it up after that if you want to but what are some tips and tricks you have on uh mock scrapes so yeah i absolutely love making mock scrapes um extremely productive especially in the right areas so um i basically do i do the suburban areas and the rural areas the same way and what i mean by that is i love to get in an area that already may have two or three scrapes in it, right? So, for instance, today, I uh, went to uh, New Hardwood Ridge. I knew there would be some scrapes on it. Sure enough, I go up there. It's like boom, 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 boom. Like four or five on this little logging road. And I'm like, right, I got you. I pick out the one that I want with my camera at the right angle. And 
I will take the other three limbs and cut them off. And you don't think I'm crazy, but I snip them off. They're gone. I do away with them. I'll take that one and build it a little bit more. So even if he's not even scraping there, I can just And I love bending trees over. I'll bend them over. I got, I'll take, uh, you can buy a spool of wire at Home Depot or Lowe's, and it's like um, fence mending wire or something. It's pretty pretty easy. Cut it with a pair of dikes, but I keep that in the truck. And what I'll do is I'll take a piece of that with me. Like when I go to make a mock scrape, I'll, you know, six feet long, it'll do it pretty good. And I'll tie it up in the top of a tree, and I'll bend it down right where the level I want, and then I'll wrap it around another tree, and I'll get that limb just right, and then, you know, make me a big old scrape. Well, like tonight, I found a tree limb that already had one on it. So I took his scrape that was, let's just say it was this big. I made it this big, I, and, and I took like a limb that was on the ground, and I scrubbed it all out, and I got it all nice and clean. And I made sure I did double stack the limb. So instead of one little twig hanging down, I stacked more on top of it and pulled that down. And took a, uh, I took electrical tape tonight and wrapped it around those limbs to make them compact. Because when a buck, when a buck gets his eye, eye guards up in there and his glands and all that stuff, and he's rubbing those interdigital glands, he really wants to, it almost has to jab him in the eye and, and not just a little you know, it needs to, it doesn't need to be anything loose. It needs to be pretty firm. So I love to get like one major limb sticking out and he'll just rub all over that limb, get his lips all over it, lick on it. Uh, he wants to mark his territory. So, um, but getting rid of all the scrapes that are around you and let's call it in a hundred yard radius and making one huge mock scrape, dude, they will absolutely destroy it. Um, before I was hunting deer over bait, dude, I lived off mock scrapes. And it was location, location, location. I remember one stand in Atlanta. I had to, I had to make like three or four different mock scrapes in this one spot because they were ripping it down with their horns. And I'm talking about they were just tearing, they were tearing the limbs off. And I was like, good grief! So I was having to cut hickory trees because that is the hardest tree I could find that they couldn't tear up as easy. And I was taking hickory. Like, I would literally go to another piece of property if I had to and cut down a 12-foot-tall hickory tree, come back to my spot, and lash that thing into an oak tree and bend it over, and they would, and I'd recreate it. And I would, at that time, I was using Phillips scents out of Marietta, Georgia. Steve Phillips is a friend of mine. He makes deer lures. Um, great guy, great scent. And I was using all his stuff. Um, he had an interdigital spray. I would spray that on the limbs. I would spray, uh, I love buck urine, so I would get a really big bottle of buck urine, and I would put buck urine in the scrape because it's territorial, you know, and one buck don't want another buck there, so, you know, um, I love that aspect of it. Um, now, um, I am sponsored by Nose Down Sense, um, so I love, I like Nose Down. I use a lot of them more so for body wash and stuff like that, and then uh, my old buddy Dennis Lewis makes BFO, which is Bow Hunter's Fatal Obsession. It's uh, it's everybody calls it BFO, but he makes a couple of different scents, and I, it's probably one of my favorites of all time. So, like today, I went right in there, sprayed that BFO all over the limb, sprayed it all over my scrape, got my camera set. I did put an attracts block, which is corn, soybeans, peanuts, and sunflower seeds all mixed into a block. I did set that there because I want the does to come in as much as possible to bring the bucks. But the very first deer that came in tonight was a, a big cold 
on one side and like two on the other side. And he came in there and he went straight to that straight, put his nose all over. I got pictures of him all up in it. I mean, that was shooting light tonight. And he was hurting. And that was in Morgan County, Georgia, right here. So mock scrapes are extremely important. Don't be scared to make them. Create them. Make them just nasty and big. And I think the nastier you make them, man, the more they hit them. The does are coming. And then, you know, you don't have to keep putting scent in it. If you can ever get the deer in there, um, utilizing it, they will send it up for you. You don't ever have to touch it again. So all those eye glands, they're pissing in it. The does be pissing in it. You don't have to do anything. Just sit back and watch. But you'll get some of the best pictures in the world off mock scrapes. Wow, nice. I, I definitely want to. Definitely want to get into it, and now hearing you do that, one of my buddies, Evan Bethilly, uh, has been doing some scrapes up here. But, uh, yeah, definitely definitely want to get more into the scraping. Like, you're doing mock scrapes, seeing how they work. Um, as far as what you spray on the limb, mm-hmm. you said something about an inter- interdigital gland. Is it, like, I'm sure I've seen a bunch of companies. I've done some research and found a few different good ones. But uh, is it something sp- uh, something particular you're looking for for a scent spray to say, or is it a certain kind of gland, or is it just does it just depend on the company? My personal opinion, I'm not sure what any of this scent is. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know who's bottling it, so I don't know, dude. Um, it it may all be the same scent, and one's called interdigital, one's called doe, one's called pea, one's called buckier, dude. I don't know. Um, yeah, unless you're making it yourself, there's no telling what you're going to end up with. But I can tell you that Phillips, Phillips work for sure. I'm testing, I'm in a current test process of nose down right now. It's supposed to be a great company. Um, so I'm testing their stuff, but, um, I also have the BFO in my arsenal, Bowhunter Fail Obsession with Dennis Lewis. They live in Kentucky right now. And I mean, I know you can order that and they'll ship it straight to you and, firm believer in that that's what i i mean i used it tonight i dusted the whole entire scrape um i dusted a limb and i had a buck in there ripping the limb down tonight i mean immediately um same thing behind my house um i hung in yesterday i made a big mock scrape i've been a landover i tied a rope to it i bent a limb over there was never a scrape there i scraped it out bfo bfo walked out and that buck came in there last night he hit that block went straight to the scrape all up in it and walked out. I was like, boom, baby. So, yeah. Doe tracks all in there tonight when I went in. I mean, it was don't be scared, man, to, to make a mock scrape. And make don't just make a mock scrape. Just don't have a little lamb hanging over, dude. It's got to be the right height. It's got to be preferably flat ground, high heel or down low. And just make it stand out. Like, that, I love layering limbs. Limb, limb, limb. I just, I love a bunch of, I want it to stand out. I want them to look at it and go, huh, I need to go over there. Oh, good grief, there already is one. And then they just take it over, man. They'll just keep coming and keep coming, especially if you take all the rest of them out of there. That's the one they're going to focus on. And you want to, you're trying, I'm trying to create a community scrape. I want every deer in the woods to come to it. So, and I've, it's been extremely successful on me. I've killed a lot of these deer in here. Um, I, I shot T-Bone. This 14-pointer right here, I shot him standing in my mock scrape. And I actually called Kendall on the phone while he's standing in my scrape. And I was like, T-Bone is in my scrape. What do you think? Shoot that joker. And I was like, hold on. Put the phone down. 
drew the bow back, whop, picked it up. He's dead. <laughs> and that was the phone call with, with T-Bone. It was, it was really cool. But a uh, 148 inch, 14 pointer, you know, just beautiful deer. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, that's hearing, hearing more and more people talk about how successful the Mott's Crepes are. I definitely want to do it. And I feel like people that listen to this podcast, mostly, mostly just local guys so far, but it's something that, you know, until you've talked to someone like yourself, I mean, you're obviously successful. You can see the, the deer on the wall behind you there, you know, obviously, obviously successful. You've done well with it. You know, that's, that builds confidence. It's not just a bunch of talking heads, yes. you know, pushing a certain company oh, you got to use this, you got to get this rope, you need to get this, you need to use this kind of thing to scratch, scrape it out with. I'm like, man, I don't, most people don't know what to trust because someone's pushing a pushing a uh, product, pushing this, pushing that, trying to sell a TV show, you know, and it's right. not like just a good a good guy like you that's like, listen, it works, this is what I've done. You know, that, that kind of advice is, it goes a long way to people. Yeah. So that I, I thank you for that, the honest advice. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, man. What thing is like, what what do you have to lose? You go make a mock straight, yeah. you put a camera on it, nothing comes to it. Okay, um, maybe I try a different location. Go try another one. I mean, they're not going to show up. You know, it's not like you're going to run the deer out of the woods because you make a mock scrape. So, go make a scrape, put a camera on it, let it run, see what happens. Right now is the time. So um, that also brought me something you just said a second ago reminded me of a conversation that you and I are having earlier tonight and I was about calling deer and you're, you, you're lacking confidence in calling to deer. Okay. Um, what's say to that is, uh, what do what I do. And you probably never thought about it. And most people that are listening to this podcast don't think about it, but I call so much that I call to almost every deer that I see. For instance, if I'm sitting in a ladder stand on the side of a hardwood ridge and you hear deer and then you see it, throw the binoculars up as a four-pointer and he's going to parallel you at 80 yards and he's going to walk down the ridge, nine out of ten hunters will be like, oh, this is a four-pointer and see bye. My goal when I see that four-pointer is I want to put that four-pointer under the legs of my stand. I want to call him to the bottom of my feet. And you're like, why in the world did you call to a four-pointer? First of all, it builds confidence, okay? If you can visually see a deer in the woods and you hit the calls, my favorite calls, I actually use a Primos rattle bag. Most people will be mind blown on that, but every deer in this room came from a rattle bag, and I use a Primos buck roar grunt call. I love the snort wheeze, the grunt, and I do some different kind of grunting on there, some tending grunts and buck roars and stuff like that. I like the snort wheezes, but... The major killer in my arsenal of calling is that dead gum rattle bag. I can take that rattle bag, and most people will think you take a rattle bag, and you'll see them on TV too, slamming that thing and rolling it around. And that's not the way you operate the thing. You take that bag, and you hold it tight, and you grind, and you pop, and you crinkle. And a lot of people on this podcast are not going to even know what a deer fight sounds like because they ain't never heard one. But I've heard a bunch of them. I've watched them, and I can remember the very first deer fight that I actually heard. I was in Sparta, Georgia. I was in high school, and I was convinced, you can never convince me anything different, that a daggum hog had come in behind me and was chewing on a 20-ounce Mountain Dew bottle. That's what I thought. 
it was like crinkle, 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 crunch, 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 crinkle, crinkle. And I was like, this stadium hog is like chewing on this bottle. That's, that's the vision I had in my head. And then this goes on forever, and it's getting closer. And what it was is two eight-pointers locked up, and they were pushing themselves to me. And I ended up seeing one of them's back legs, and I ended up killing one of them at 56 yards while he was fighting, but with a bow. But I remember I got to listen to them so long, I was like, that is way out of perspective of what people think. These bucks don't kill each other, and they're not slamming big bones together. And, man, my dad's, my dad's rattle horns at that time, dude, they were like 250-inch sheds. They were giant. And you need to try to create a 80-inch eight-pointers, two 80-inch eight-pointers fighting and build the scenario in your brain like what you think those deer are doing. And I will never forget those two deer locked up and just the grinding. It was just grind, 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 pop, pop, grind, 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 pop. And the curiosity of just that grinding and a little tickling, those deer will come straight to you. So when you see that 80, that little, that little four-pointed 80 yards coming by, man, grab that rattle bag out of your backpack, and you might even grunt to stop him. Okay, so you got you can take the grunt and just be like, bruh, bruh. well, let me tell you something. If the dang deer don't stop and look at you, he ain't heard you yet. So you got to get louder and louder and louder. I mean, bruh, 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 bruh. And might be like, what? And that's when you go, bip, bip. now he's listening. And then you take them horns and you just barely kick, pop, crinkle, crinkle, pop. And I mean, dude, I've watched them a hundred, I mean, a hundred billion times. Twitch that tail, boom, come on a line, straight to you. You can't overdo it. But anyway, call the full pointer up. Get him in bow range, right? Okay. The reason I like doing that, and I will call every single deer to me that I can, you now have a live decoy standing around your stand. You have just been calling, grunting, possibly wheezing. Now you have this full pointer here. Any big deer that is 100 yards away from you, that is not paying attention to anything that you're doing, or, you know, that was walking by, has now heard all this. So now he's very weary. So he's going to come into that 100-yard range, 80-yard range, where you don't even see him. He's going to stand there and look. Well, the first thing he sees is that daggum four-pointer over there standing under your tree. Live decoy. Beeline straight to him. So you think you're calling a little four-pointer in, and lo and behold, here comes this 100-inch eight-pointer rolling in. And then... Here we go, game on, right? So button bucks, um, there's 175 and 18, 11-pointer on the wall right here. I had just called in a button buck. I grunted, called a little buck in. He's walking by like 50 yards. Here he comes down in there. Ten minutes, his deer's hanging around. Here comes 175 and 18-inch 11-pointer coming up the ridge about 100 yards away, and I'm like, bruh, 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 bruh. He stops. <clears throat> got that grunt call, but he immediately stops up there, looks down the ridge. That little button buck starts walking around. He sees the button buck, comes barreling down the ridge like a bull, coming straight to him because he thought it was a doe walking around down there, and he was fixing to get some. So he comes down there, immediately gets up to the button buck, puts his nose up on him. Now the button buck's like 40 yards. Puts his nose up on him. Oh, that's a button buck. And then he just turns, starts walking a little bit, smoking 41 yards with a bow, dead. All because I called the button buck in. So call deer in. Build confidence. Make decoys. More scent around you. Deer scent, deer dander, whatever you want to call it. Um, calling. Call, 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 call. Don't be scared to call. Call the spikes, the four-pointers, the six-pointers. Get everybody in there. 
you'll be surprised. You'll you'll thank me later. You'll be like, dang man, that was cool, man. I call that six pointer straight to me. You might not. You ain't gonna shoot the six pointer, but dude, it's fun calling them in. So that's my two cents on calling. I love it. Eat, sleep, and breathe it. Yeah, that's definitely something I've never heard. But it makes perfect sense. You know, you're able to practice. Even if you're not planning on shooting them, it might turn in, like you said, to a buck following it in. But that's that's a perspective I have never, ever heard. And that's, that's uh, and I'm not saying I'm any, I'm, I'm no expert by any means. I mean, I, I've hunted a long time. I enjoy, I enjoy the outdoors, but I'm by no means an expert in any, in any right. But uh, definitely never heard that idea, but that makes perfect sense. I mean, it's, Anything you do, you got to practice it. And if anything, practice with live deer around you is good for it. Maybe it's a stand that you had up for a couple of years yep. or two months, and that deer comes in. You're like, I, I might need to trim that limb out, or I might need to adjust the way I'm sitting in this thing, or rotate it around the tree, or you know, it it may cue you into something else that may help you kill a buck the next week or whatever it may be. But uh, yeah, that's a very interesting perspective but it makes i mean keep it simple stupid you know that makes sense yep but uh thank you so much for coming on i have had a ball it's 10 15 at night so i'm gonna go out here and snuggle my two daughters and see what they're doing i'm sure they've got their mama tied up out there yeah but thank you so much for coming on man i had a blast thank you for sharing the gospel we had church we talked about deer hunting it was a good night yep absolutely enjoyed every minute of it and hey let's do it again Yes, sir. We'll do it. Thank you for listening to the Bucktails Podcast. 